0: Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are. We just lay our hearts before you, and we just say that without your help, we know that we're nothing in this life. And God, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts today. God, that you would help change our mind, that you would help change the way that we do life. Uh, There are some ways that we do life that are quite destructive to us. And God, we're looking for a, a mind transformation in that area, that you would do something so significant in us, that there would be places in our life that would not even be a temptation point anymore, because you have radically changed our mind. And so we just ask that you would do your work today, and we just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you speak to us today. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. 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 John three sixteen. are you ready? Here it is. It says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, you can join me, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you so happy for the everlasting life that he has given you? We're starting a brand new series that we're calling Generous God. Somebody say, Generous God. I wanna tell you up front over the next three weeks, we're gonna talk about generosity. We're gonna talk about money. We're gonna talk about financial stewardship. You know, one of the major hangups that people have, not, not Christians who are fully committed to God's word, but people who are just kind of being introduced to Christianity or people who have not like fully engaged their life, one of the biggest hang-ups they have about church is money and rightfully so, would she not agree? People, pastors, TV evangelists, some have given God a bad name. Some have given the church a bad name, and that's why when when I say we're gonna talk about stewardship, everybody in the room, their heart has a particular reaction. Some are positive reactions, and then some are negative reactions, and this is the very reason why we wanna do this series. Because we have so many new people in our church. You're from many different backgrounds. And this means that in this room, people have been taught a variety of different things when it comes to stewardship and when it comes to generosity. And so let's talk about the elephant in the room. Here's the elephant in the room. Many preachers have taken advantage of people in this area by twisting scripture and making people feel guilty and bad about themselves and so i just want to expose that elephant today and i want to mention maybe a couple of these bad teachings that have been taught uh, because i want you to know that we don't tolerate them here at the grace place we're not about that the first thing uh, i thought of was this that you should give money so that you can get more money you know, it's interesting. You know, reaping and sowing is a biblical principle. But when the core motivation of giving is so that you can get more, I believe that it tends to pull on the self extremes of humanity. And so what happens is when you give and you don't think you receive what. God owes you, then your mentality goes, God, you owe me, and you didn't give to me what I thought you should give to me, so God, I'm not giving to you. (laughs) You see how that works? Some religions have taught you should give money or alms to receive forgiveness from God so that you can have a clean slate with God. How many know that Scripture declares that when you have been saved, you got a clean slate? You don't need to pay God to get a clean slate. Some people have taught that we need to give money to get delivered from whatever demonic oppressions or strongholds we have in our life. This is not biblical either. How many know that Jesus broke every curse on the cross? Could you say Amen in the room? Some preachers have nose punch people with scripture and adding theatrics to guilt people into giving by using a popular scripture like malachi 3 8 through 10 that talks about robbing god with the tithe i don't think that adding theatrics to scripture and using guilt to get people to give is really an accurate representation of god would you agree with me now, somebody say some churches. Some churches have taught these things. Not all. See, how many of you've got a crazy uncle in your family? Raise your hand. Come on. How many got a crazy uncle in your family? Family members. Some of them are in the room right now. You don't have to point at them. How many of you would like to be judged, your family name, who you are, and what you represent? How many of you would like the world to judge you because you're a crazy uncle? I'm the crazy uncle in my family. But um, here's here's what I know. Why would we judge the church of God because of a couple bad apples? I don't think that's very fair to God. And here's what I want to say. If you have lost trust in the church in this area, this is not something that I can convince you of, but I hope that the grace place could be an example of a church that represents Jesus will and how we talk about stewardship, that we're honest, that we have integrity, and we have biblical accuracy. We're not saying we're perfect, but what we are saying is that we are gonna do our best to not manipulate anybody and preach a biblical perspective when it comes to stewardship and finances. See, this does not mean that that you won't get uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that you won't be challenged. How many know the word of God challenges us? That's just, that's just what it does. And especially if we have an area in our life that is not representing Jesus well, God is gonna come in and challenge that area in our life. And here's what else I know is, I know this, that, that I have no power to change your mind. And that's not my plan by doing this series. My plan is to bring you to the word of God And to invite you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what God's word says about how you steward your finances and how you live a life of generosity. And so God is really good at changing hearts and minds. Would you agree? Has there been some spaces in your life that you never imagined in a million years that he would touch that place in you? And he did. He transformed you. How are we doing so far? Y'all okay? All right. Well, we're going to title... this series, I already said Generous God, but I believe, the reason why I'm titling this is I believe this, the heart behind all financial stewardship and generosity should rest on the foundation of the gospel. Everything. Everything. It should rest on our understanding on how generous God is. We just read it in John 3, 16. It says, God was so generous to us. We were desperate. We needed a savior. We were on a a highway to hell, moving fast, but God did not want that for us. So he provided salvation in his generosity. How many know he's generous? How many know that half-hearted salvation wouldn't have worked for you? How many know that if God and Jesus got together and they were stingy with you, how many know that salvation wouldn't work for you? See, we needed a generous God. Do we have any parents in the house? For a parent to not talk to their kids about generosity, finances, and stewardship would be a failure of parenting. How many you know that? If you're an adult in the room, how many of you would say, I wish that my parents Taught me financial principles and taught me how to be a generous person. I wish they did a better job. Raise your hand, really high. So let me ask you this: for pastors and the church, well, I'm not asking you. I'm making a statement. To not teach about generosity and financial stewardship would be a failure as a pastoral staff. We would fail you if we did not teach you in this area. The title of our message today is the heart. Of generosity. Somebody say heart. Heart. We're gonna talk the next three weeks about the heart of generosity the head of generosity and the hands of generosity. Today, we're gonna talk about the heart and the question I have for you today is this, what is motivating the heart towards generosity? What should be the motivator of every believer who lives a life of generosity? I'm gonna point out three things in scripture. This is not an exhaustive list, there's a lot more things, but these are three things that I think are really important as we talk about the foundation and the heart and the motivation behind generosity. The first thing I notice is this, that the heart of the generous is discerning. The word discern means to notice, it means to understand, it means to clue in, to, to pay attention and pick up some things. And here's, what, here's, what, here's how Paul puts it in Ephesians 3 and 4. Here's, here's what he said. He said this. He's writing to the church in Ephesians and he says, In reading this, Paul is saying, in reading the letter that I gave to you. How many know that letter is the gospel? It's the word of God. In reading the good news about Jesus in this letter, here's what he says will happen for you. You will be able to understand. Somebody say understand. You're going to be able to understand and discern by reading the good news about Jesus. My insights into the mystery of Christ." See, scripture emphasizes the role of discernment and understanding when it comes to grasping and understanding the magnitude of the gospel or the mystery of the gospel. Notice that for somebody who's not engaged in reading the word, Paul said, in reading this, when we're not engaged in reading the word and engaged in scripture, we cannot discern the things of God clearly. Clearly. What should we be discerning? Well, when we engage in God's word, the the first thing I notice that's discerned is this. Sin should be discerned. I mean, we get into the word right from the beginning and and we see the sinfulness of humanity and and it gives us a mirror to our life. And we begin to see in light of a holy God and in light of how amazing God is, we realize how how much sin has corrupted humanity. And when we engage in God's word and, and we read it, we begin to discern, oh, I'm a sinner too. I'm in desperate need of God's salvation. In fact, Paul puts it like this in Romans 3.23. He says this, For all have sinned, somebody say all, and fallen short of the glory of God. We see God's standard is glorious. It's huge. It's amazing. He is perfect. And when we stand in light of that, we miss the mark not by a little but we miss it by a lot see a generous person when they begin to engage in god's word they they discern some things they discern uh, how how sinful they are and the second thing that i that i notice is this that when we engage in god's word that the gospel in your notes should be discerned the gospel should be discerned what is the god's gospel it is it's the good news In light of how sinful we are and how broken and how frail and how evil humanity is, it is the good news that says Jesus came to die on the cross for you and I and to reunite us back again with the Father so that we don't have a broken relationship with him. This is the good news about Jesus. And when we read his word, we discern both the bad news and we discern the good news. Romans 8 and 32 puts it like this. It says... He who did not spare his own son, that's God, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with Jesus, how will God and Jesus also not graciously give us all things? You see how gracious he is? He's given us all things. In light of his generosity, he has freely given to us. His generosity, church, should be the backbone motivator for every gift you give. Nothing more, nothing less. His generosity should be the backbone and motivator for every one of your gifts. If you have turned me, tuned me out, turn me back in. Here's the, here's the key for the message today. The gospel should be the number one motivator behind the heart of generosity. And here's the reality. The reality is this. If we don't understand generosity, we don't understand the gospel. Can I say that again for you? If you get uncomfortable with the idea of generosity, it just means that you don't understand the gospel. You don't realize how good God has been to you. And I'm going to make, say this next part gently. To the casual Christian, you will never be able to discern the generosity of God until you get into the word of God. It's just impossible. I mean, Paul said, we've got, we've got to read it to understand it. And then to the mature Christian, you might not have liked a particular preacher's approach to generosity. You might be angry at the abuse in church around money, as I am. You might be skeptical about what people are going to do with your money, as I am. But regardless of how skeptical I am and regardless of How many different preachers out there and TV evangelists have manipulated people? Regardless of all those things, I cannot help but be wrecked when I think about my generous God. And I understand generosity. That's why I give. That's it. And we cannot deny a generous God and deny becoming like him. See, I know people today want to get to the bottom line, especially if you're a skeptic in the room. And, and I want to always give room for the skeptics. God loves skeptics. He loves speaking to the heart of skeptics. And, and I know many skeptics, want to, they want to get to the bottom line today. They're thinking, okay, Sean, just tell me exactly what the Bible says about how much I'm supposed to give. I mean, give me the bottom line because Because Sean, I'm really good at following rules, and if you just tell me what I'm supposed to do, then then I'll do it, and then God and I are good, and you can be quiet, and I'll talk about money anymore, and we'll be all right, How how many of you know, we're not very good at doing rules. In fact, I think the 10 Commandments reveal that to us. I mean, God, was like, okay, you want rules? Here's the 10 Commandments. Knock yourself out, have a blast with these things. How many of you know, we fall mighty, mighty short with that. People say, well, just if, tell me what I should give so I can be a good standing with God. Here's the sad thing. The sad thing is this, in many ways, this has been the approach that many people have received when it comes to talking about finances. And when people say, well, just tell me the bottom line. I mean, how much am I supposed to be give so that God will love me and bless my finances? Friends, I wanna tell you this. When we start with a question like that, we miss the point. We are just missing out on the gospel when we start. Well, what's, the, what's the lowest amount I need to give so that me and God can be given? We miss the point of the gospel. And why would any one of us approach scripture this way? Well, it, it was, somebody taught us that. It, it was inbred in us. And, and, and that kind of teaching like breeds in it, and it grabs onto the religious nature in humanity because we as people, we love checking off the religious boxes. It makes us feel good. We do that because religion always wants to guilt us into performance-based giving as it likes to guilt us into performance-based living. And how many know that, that God saved us? We don't have to perform for him. He, he saved us. He gave his life for us. It was, it was part of his free gift. That's what makes him so generous. That's what makes him so graceful. This is why it's so important for a generous person to have the ability to discern the gospel. Because the gospel is not after our behavior, it's after our hearts. And when God gets a hold of your heart, he gets a hold of your behavior and everything's just fine. And the problem is, is so many of us are running so hard trying to fix our behavior and everything is not fine because we haven't surrendered our heart to God. We haven't let him deal with our hearts. When God captures your heart, he will do something with your behavior. He'll transform you. The gospel is not asking us to do more. It's asking us to be more. This is what I know. The reason we're starting this series off this way at the Grace Place is because so many people are guilt-centered when it comes to generosity. Generosity rather than gospel-centered. And I wanna make sure that we have a church that is gospel-centered, not guilt-centered. I love what Psalms 145 verse nine says. It says this, the Lord is good. Somebody say good. He's good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Look, his sons and daughters that are serving him well and those who are lost in Christ. He has compassion on everybody who has been made. Has the Lord been good to you? Here's the question I have for you today. The question is this. On a scale of one to 10, on a scale of one to 10, do I understand the gospel? Do you understand how desperate you are for a savior and what a great gift you have received in Jesus? And I wanna just challenge you here today. If generosity and money when it comes to the church makes you uncomfortable, I think that that perhaps is just a sign and an invitation from the Holy Spirit saying, hey, engage in my word. Do, do what, what Paul asked the people in Ephesians. Read, get in the word, understand how glorious and how kind and how, how good God is. Don't, don't get into the word to try to figure out what you need to do with money. Get into the word to try to figure out how you're supposed to respond to the gospel and how the gospel, how God has been so good to you through this great message We're talking about the heart of generosity. What is the motivator behind the heart of generosity? Uh, Well, we believe it's the gospel. We believe that discerning that is important. And and here's one of the results, the next thing in your notes, it's a result of somebody who has picked up and they have discerned the gospel and and it's this, the heart of the, the generous is a depiction. It's a depiction in your notes. The heart of a generous is a a representation. That's what the word depiction means. It means a, a picture of something or a mirror or a representation of something. What are we a representation of? Well, we see in Genesis 1 and 26 that the Bible says from the very beginning, humanity was made in God's image. We are a representation of a generous God. How many know that because of the fall, we were broken and we were a terrible representation? How many know that to be true? But because of what God did on the cross, because of Jesus, we have been reunited. And guess what that means? God is beginning to restore his image in you so that you look just like him. See, when people look at you and they look at me, they can see the generous nature of God. Because we reflect him back. How is the heart of the generous a depiction? Well, how exactly are we to be in the image of God? What, what should that look like? I want to suggest a couple things, That this, that the generous, in your notes, they are forgiving. That's what, that's what a generous person who, who depicts the image of God in the world, they, they look at you and I and they go, wow. They are really forgiving. You see the play on world, God forgave the world. He was forgiving. He gave us Jesus. He is all about giving because he is a generous God. In fact, he is extravagant. And here's, here's how this works. In God's image, because he is forgiving, so am I. I mean, I'm so blown away at the incredible blessings I have received and the thought that another human on this planet would not experience what I've experienced emotionally, physically, and spiritually in Christ is sad to me. So I am forgiving. I'm forgiving words of blessing to people. I'm forgiving financial blessings to people. I'm forgiving Christ to people, anybody with me in the house today. I love what Ephesians 5 and 25 says. See, when when we fall in love with somebody who's been generous with us, here's how it works. You begin to love what they love. See, my wife has a whole family and she loves her family and she has a whole network of friends and she loves her friends. Guess what? When I when I became one with my wife and we got married, I began to fall in love with all the things that Krista loves. And... And if we are to be people that are images of God representing God's love, then it's important for us to recognize what God loves. Ephesians 5 and 25 helps us to see what God's love is. It says as husbands love your wives just as Christ, who does Christ love? The church What did he do for the church? He gave himself for the church. See, as believers, when we begin to get into God's word and recognize what he loves and discern what he loves, he begins to transform us and we go, I love the church too. What? Because I loved it on my own, no. I, I love Chris's I love friends because I loved them on my own, no. I had no idea before I met Krista who these people were. I had no idea what the church was about before I gave my heart to Christ. I didn't even know I was supposed to love the church. But when God wrecked my life and I recognized and discerned how generous he was, I started to pay attention to the things that were on his heart. And I began to love the things that he loves so this means that I'm generous with my church it means I'm generous with my small group I'm generous with the body of Christ and also God loves the world in fact he sent his son to go on mission to tell the good news to every person on the planet so guess what I'm also generous to make sure that that news gets all around the world. How else are the generous a depiction of God? In your notes, they're a depiction in that they give freely. Somebody say freely. Free Free means free, expecting nothing in return. See, when God gave you salvation, here's the crazy thing. He actually did it before you even loved him. He freely gave to you before you could give anything back to him. Do you realize that? It was paid for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. Before, in fact, the Bible actually says, before the foundations of the world, the lamb was slain. So, before God did anything on the planet in eternity, which we cannot understand time and eternity because we just only think of it linear, but in eternity, the lamb was slain before you were even created, before you even fell, before there was anything wrong with you. God freely gave a gift to you, no strings attached. That's the type of givers that we ought to be. Givers that have no strings attached. Has anybody ever given you something with strings attached? It ain't cool at all, is it? It is not cool. It is not cool to receive a gift with strings attached because people think they owe you when they give and strings are attached. Does God owe you anything when you give? Do you have any strings attached when you give to God? Does he owe you anything? No, he don't owe you nothing. (laughs) He already gave everything to you in his son Jesus. When we give, we ought to mirror that. We have no strings attached when we give. If you're going to give to somebody, don't don't give unless you can give with no strings attached. If you're going to bless somebody, don't bless them unless you can bless them with no strings attached. You know, so many of us, we have we have so many different types of gifts. In fact, um, here's something really cool. James 2 and 1, James is really explicit about the strings attached thing. Uh, here's what he says. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. No strings attached. If you're going to do something, just do something for somebody because of the love in your heart. You know, here's what this is saying to the church. This is saying to church leaders. In fact, this is the context. Don't show a special favoritism because somebody has a certain kind of a gift. In this this situation, because they got a lot of money. They don't get favoritism because they have a lot of money. And God also says this, and, and here, here's, how, here's how I would like to kind of broaden this, this is my, my own translation. We have been given a lot of gifts in our, the amount of time we have to give, in our talents, and in our treasures. We've got a lot of gifts to give. And when we give those gifts, we should not give with strings attached. We should not expect favoritism because of the gifts that we give. And sometimes people come and they give a gift to the church. It could be their time to do something in the church, to serve in the church, to repair something in the church. It could, it could be by giving money to a special project that they know that the pastor loves a lot and they're, they're expecting that, that also pastor will give them their ear for special things that matter to them. See, when we give gifts, we give with no strings attached. And here's the question I have for you today. How can you know if you're a depiction of God? Ask yourself this question. Do I give without strings attached in all areas of my life? Do I give without strings attached? Now, this is assuming that you are a giver. This is an important question to ask ourselves. I love Romans 8 and 32. It said that God graciously gave us all things, so we ought to graciously give as well. We're talking about the heart of generosity. Somebody say the heart of generosity. The last thing that I'm gonna notice today in Scripture as we're taking a look at the heart of generosity, first of all, I notice that We need to discern the gospel. It needs to be our number one motivator. The second thing is the results of that is we become a depiction of God. The third thing is more of a process-driven thing for you and I. And it's this, the heart of generosity is developed in your notes. The heart of generosity is developed. Listen, generosity is a process that is developed in us as believers. Here's, here's what I know that we don't really become generous on our own. That is not the nature of fallen humanity. So God has to go when we give our heart to Jesus. He begins to repair our processes on how we think about everything in life. He begins to repair how we think about ethnicity and, and, and other religions and, and other cultures. And he begins to give us a love for those other things because there, there are times where some people, because of war and because of how they've been treated, they they wake up. And, they, and they're and they born and they've got grudges against God's people and the world that he loves. So God repairs them and gives them a new kind of love. They, they've got they've got um, strongholds against particular genders, maybe because when they were a child, their father treated them bad or their mother treated them bad. And so God says, hey, the way that I'm gonna heal you is by changing the way you think about men and women, about dads and moms. And I'm gonna do that through healing and transforming your heart. And so God does this same thing about you and I. When comes to generosity, because by nature, God says, we're stingy by nature, we're prideful, we're, we want to make sure that we've got enough to take care of ourselves, and, and kind of like Jacob in our last series, I want to take the striver out of you, and I want to I want to take the grabber out of you, and I want to turn you into somebody who doesn't grab, but somebody who gives. And so God has to develop this side of us, and so one of the things I want to suggest in your notes that we're going to develop is that you're going to develop your generosity muscle. Yeah. <laughs> generosity muscle. Wasn't that real deep? <laughs> Colossians 2, 6 through 7, Paul said it, says it like this. He says, he says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as your Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened, somebody say strengthened, in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Somebody say strengthened in the faith. See, in the faith, God strengthens us, as I mentioned, in love and, and joy and learning how to care for all ethnicities, learning how to care for all genders. And God began to strengthen us, but he also begins to strengthen us in this muscle called generosity. See, when it comes to being a new believer, the Bible says we're like newborn babies. How many know newborn babies don't do much? That's, that's okay. They're not expected to. All they do is poop, they cry, and they eat. This, those three things over and over and over until they, they start learning to, to take care of themselves. Now, how many know that in light of natural babies, when we are spiritual babies, spiritual muscles need to be developed? See, it's in praying that we begin to work out the prayer muscle and learn to pray. Yeah. It's by reading God's word that we work out the reading muscle and learn how to discern God's word. And it's by, by giving that we work out the generosity mu- mu- muscle and learn to be a giver. How many of you know that if you've got muscles in your body and, and you were a baby and, and you never worked out, you never learned how to crawl, you never learned how to roll over, you never, never learned how to straighten up that wobbly little head of yours, how many of you know that those muscles would never be developed? Yeah. And they don't magically develop. It takes you developing them. Yeah. See, you can't just sit around and hope for great biceps like Jonathan over there you got to get your butt out of bed, and you got to get over to the gym, and you've got to work that muscle out. And here's what I know. Here's what science tells us. If we never use our muscles, they will never develop. And if we use our muscles and quit using them, they go back the way they were before you had great muscles. Jonathan's like, yeah, they do. When I skip the gym, man, bad things happen to my body. Here's what this means. It means this: that we won't learn to be generous until we just get started. Yeah this is, this is practical. Did you hear me? You won't learn to be generous until you just get started. I'm reminded of what Matthew says in uh, Matthew chapter six. Um, we're going to read verse 21. Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. It says, "Where your treasure is, somebody say treasure." There your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I noticed something really interesting this week when I was studying this that the word "is" and the you where your treasure is there your heart, will be. the word "is" and the word "be" are both the same Greek word. It's really interesting that they translate something different in the English. This word, I'll, I'll spare you spare you the the butcher butchering of me trying to say this Greek word. It simply means this. It means to go. So what what is this passage saying? It's saying, where your treasure goes, there your heart goes also. Your heart follows where you put your treasure. Uh, See, where we put our money, our heart grows for that place. (laughs) Let me ask you this. When you put your money into a new investment, guess what you do? You start checking up on that investment. You start cheering that investment. Come on, baby. You got this. We got this. You start cheering that on. Your your heart starts growing to that investment. You start wanting to learn more information about this organization that that is growing your finances. And your your heart starts growing. And, and, And maybe when your kids go off to college and you have invested your money, you put your treasure there, guess what you're doing? Where is their report card? How are they doing? I want to make sure that my investment is turning and yielding a good profit. Because where my treasure is, there my heart is also. Why does your your heart follow that? Because that is the heart of stewardship. Because when something is sown, you're going to watch it. You're going to care for it. You're going to want to make sure it does well. You're going to cheer it on because it has captured your heart. You, in fact, become their number. Number one fan because you want to make sure that where you put your treasure it reaps a great harvest how many would love for your treasure to reap a great harvest say amen I can tell you who the generous people of the Grace Place are. You know why? Because they are the number one fans of the Grace Place because they put their treasure here out of a heart for God, out of a heart of generosity for God. They freely gave and they're going, God, I pray that my church explodes. I pray that people in the community come to know Jesus because of the explosion here. I pray that that believers would grow up and they they would be mature and be a great representation of you in the community, God. I am cheering my church on. That's how I could tell who our generous givers are here at the Grace Place. Well, as we kind of wrap things up and I close today, I want somebody to consider this. Has God been generous with you? Not taking an offering, by the way. Just, just, this. There's no offerings taken right now. We're going to do regular ties and offerings, but this, this is not for that. I'm just asking you the question: Has God been generous with you, and have you been made in His image, and have you begin to develop and work out your muscles of generosity? Here's the question I have for you, and it's on the screen. I think this is a, this simple practical, down-to-earth question that I think we get from Scripture is, will you begin to work out your muscles of generosity? Like, God's just like, hey, just start doing it. start, start strength. Be rooted in Christ. When you're rooted in Christ, you recognize how generous He is. And it says, be rooted in Christ often, daily. Paul says, let, let it be a constant. He used to use the word constant reminder of his generosity to you, constant reminder of the gospel. So we don't need the gospel just one time when we get saved. We need the good news over and over and over and over and over again. The good news is great for the sinner who needs Jesus and the the good news is great for the saint who knows Jesus. I just want you to simply just answer this question in your mind. Yes, I'm ready to exercise that muscle or no, I'm not. And if the answer is no, that's okay. God could deal with your no. He's a really big God. You've probably been saying no to him about a lot of other things. He's not going to get all crazy with you. He's just going to keep loving you over and over and again. Show you generosity with no strings attached until you're convinced of him and surrender your life to him. For some people who have never begin to begun to exercise this muscle today, I believe I believe that God's going to begin to spur some people on and challenge them and begin to show them how generous he's been with you and he's inviting you to start stretching out that muscle of generosity and some who have been on the same routine for a long time maybe that this you know you know how it is like you used to like run miles every morning and you know the, the longer you're in this life the miles like they not so many miles anymore don't, people calling each other out and now Now you don't even run anymore you just walk you know and, and there might come a time where you don't even walk anymore and you're just you're just sitting and you're telling about all the glorious days of all the marathons you used to run and you got all your trophies over here but you're not running anymore and I think God would say hey you, you might you might be seasoned in the faith that doesn't mean that you still can't be stretched Here's the question I wanna ask for you today with every head bowed and every eye closed. The first thing I wanna ask today, and it's it's crazy because (laughs) this is a stewardship series about money, but the truth of the matter is that today, the foundation of this whole conversation is just about the gospel, about God's generosity. And you might be in the room today and you might be like, how did I end up here today? And they're talking about money. It's my first time here or or whatever the thing is for you. Oh, forget about all that. Just consider how good God has been to you. And if you've been far away from God, or maybe you have never surrendered your life to Him and made Him your Lord and Savior today. If that's you today, God, God is inviting you to see how glorious He's been to you. He He's drawn you in from all the places you could be today. You found yourself here today. You You find yourself in a place where the Word of God is being preached and the generous God who gave His Son Jesus on the cross for you, so that you don't have to be in pain and you don't have to be hurt. In fact, God says, "I want to heal you. I want I want to I want to take all of the pain away." from your heart by by giving you my son Jesus and letting my peace reside in your heart again. It's been a long time since you felt that kind of peace. You're in the room today and say, Sean, I want you to pray for me today. I wanna receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. The way I've been living my life is not working and I want God on board. I wanna surrender my ways and invite Jesus into my heart with every head bowed and every eye closed. If that is you today, just slip your hand up long enough so I can see it. I'm not gonna embarrass you today. Thank you in the front. Thank you over here. Here to the right, anybody else, slip your hand up. I wanna invite Jesus Christ to come in and be my personal Lord and Savior. And here's the last question I have for you today, and we're all gonna pray. And the last question is just simply this. How many of you would like to just discern the radical goodness, kindness, and graciousness of God in such a way that it impacts your life so powerfully that you just begin to reflect him back to the world in a magnificent way. If that's you all over this room, just raise your hand. I want God to just blow me away. Help me to see how good he has been to me in light of who I have been. God, help me to see I want to pray for you today. Let's all pray for this, pray this prayer together for the few that raise their hand to give Jesus, uh, to invite Jesus in your life. Let's say this Dear Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I pray that you come into my life today and that you would change me and that you would make me like you. I thank you for your son, Jesus. And I thank you for bringing me here today. And I repent today, I turn from my ways and I turn towards yours in Jesus' name. Somebody say a big amen. Amen. Hey, would you just thank the Lord this morning? Hey, he is so good.